0: Good morning, church. My name is Jamie Nunez. And normally I get to share with you about things that are coming up in our church family, um, future events. And this morning, on Christmas morning, I get to share with you about something that has happened in our church's past. And I'm very honored to read the scripture this morning. I will be reading out of Luke 2, 1 through 22. You're welcome to open your Bibles and join me. And the scripture will also be on the screen, up on the sides. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up to Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. which the Lord has made known to us. And when they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is God's word.
1: Amen, amen. Well, we're going to invite the children to come forward. If you're in elementary school and uh, you're here with us, I know some of our families are probably huddling at home. Do we have children today? Yes, we do. Come on up. Yeah, come on forward. All right. A few brave souls. Good. We're going to sit together. Cool. All right. How's your day? It's a pretty good day? Yeah? Pretty good day? Good. Um, what's what's one of the greatest gifts that we always like to remember? What is the greatest gift that we always like to remember on Christmas Day? Um, the gift of Jesus. Yeah, the gift of Jesus. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. We're going to look at this passage that we read that... Uh, uh, Jamie read for us, but I want to pray first because one of the things that's uh, really good to do when you read the Bible is to pray beforehand. Do you know that? So that God, the Holy Spirit can help us understand what it means. So let's pray uh, and we'll we'll try to understand one important little point in here. God, thank you for your words in scripture. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for uh, Jesus and we want to understand who Jesus is more and more every day. We want to walk with Jesus more and more as uh, somebody who is important in our lives and a friend to us, and also our Savior. So help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, verse 11 here, which I'm going to read it to you again. It says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ Christ. The Lord, and I'm wondering as I look at this verse, I'm wondering uh, about this idea that Jesus is both born, it says, and he's born kind of in a in a humble way, right? In a he's he's in a manger, and you know, just regular, not spectacular. Um, And and yet, uh, it also says in here that he is Christ the Lord, which to me that sounds like a really high sort of status title, right? To be born in a manger on the one hand, and to be Christ the Lord. And I'm really wondering, uh, is it true uh, that he is both human and he is God at the same time? That's true? Yeah? So that's kind of a, an amazing thing for us to consider, that he's both human and he's God at the same time. Can you think of anybody else who's like that? No, yeah, that's a good answer, man. There isn't anybody. This is the only person that has ever had this said about him that he's both divine and human. He's he's God and he's human at the same time. And I'm wondering this morning why that is a good thing. Why is it good that God is both divine, he's he's God, that Jesus is God and he's human. I'm wondering why is that Can you think of any reasons why that might be a good thing? Do you want to try it? And, and we can work on it together if, if it's not a complete thought. Anybody else? I know you guys are lower in numbers than normal, so it takes a lot of bravery today. Why is it good that Jesus is both God and a human being? Oh, like that much. I don't know if you all heard that, but he said that uh, so he's God, he has strong powers, but he's also human, so we don't fear him that much. yeah, so we can all go home now. Um, you've had your sermon for the day um, yeah, no that's that's a great that's a great answer. Then um, it says in here that he's he's savior, he was born, so he is like us, right he's gone I mean, can you imagine I mean, the stuff that happens in our lives? and it just feels very human and messy and you know wow and, and earthy and Jesus went through all those things he's just like us he knows what it's like to be a human being but then he has this incredible power he's it says in this verse that he's our savior he's our our protector he he protects us from the worst thing which is the impact the effect of our sin the fact that we we as human beings don't always do what God would want us to do, separates us from God, and, and Jesus protects us from that sin by going to the cross and dying on the cross for us. It's an amazing thing. He's our protector, and he protects us from all the other challenges and difficulties that we uh, face in the world, and yet he's a friend to us. It reminds me of when I was little, um, I used to get scared. And let me tell you how it happened. I would wake up in the middle of the night, and I would be scared. And I wouldn't be able to stay in my bed. And so I would jump out of my bed, and I would run down the hallway as fast as I could and jump into mom and dad's bed. And you know what happened? You guys smiling. Anybody had that experience before? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and what does it feel like when you run down the hallway and you jump into bed you have that sensation of somebody being very close to you but also being bigger than you to protect you right? and that's, that's how Jesus is because he's God and man he is both very close to us and he knows what we experience but he also is bigger than us and he can protect us he's big enough to protect us and he's close enough to relate to us and this is why it is so important. It's such a good choice to stay close to Jesus all your life. Because nobody else, well, you said it before, nobody else has the ability to do what Jesus can do. And So amidst all of the presents that we get on a, Sunday, on a Christmas morning and all the things that we hope for and all the things that we get excited for, I just want to remind you and I want to remind us this Christmas morning, that the absolute best gift that we could ever want, that we could ever long for, is the gift of Jesus. Because he's our protector, and he's like us. He's close. Okay? Want to hold on to that? The best gift is Jesus. Thanks so much for coming up here and uh, spending some time with me. You guys are brave. Appreciate it. So uh, it's great to be together on this Sunday. Um, It's always a question of what to do on Christmas Sunday, but to see so many of you here wanting to worship Jesus, right? What What we know is the biblical teaching is that Jesus came. The advent of christ that 's what we know from the Bible we don 't actually know exactly when or the some of the other things that we celebrate around Christmas time this is the core of it all and so it 's good to be with you and I was so moved by our worship together and our singing and last night was was wonderful as well um, as we got to see uh, people from all nations reading the scriptures and pointing to the story of Jesus so Uh, My heart is full in that sense. And I want to just take a few minutes because I know you've probably got things to do today and and places to go and people to see, to think about this baby, um, to reflect on on this baby. Um, I want to ask two questions. Who is this baby and how should we respond? And some of this will be territory that will be well-worn for you, but it's good on this Sunday to remember who Jesus is, and it's good to remember how we should respond. We're going we're gonna to see how people responded to Jesus in the text that Jamie read for us, and maybe let that guide us in how we can respond to Jesus, not only today, but in the coming year. We're in that moment where we're looking towards a new year filled with, you know, new beginnings and new possibilities and, and new opportunities, and so we want to move into that year with some real clarity and understanding about uh, what the best way to live is. So, who is this baby? Um, first of all, like I said with the children, the, the language in this passage is, is highly exalted language for Jesus. He is Savior, He is Christ, and He is the Lord. He's Savior, He's Christ, and He is the Lord. And all throughout the Old Testament, let me just say a few things about those terms. All throughout the Old Testament, God, the one who is referred to as Savior is God. God is the Savior. Uh, Isaiah 43, 11, I I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. Besides me, there is no Savior. So this is lofty language that's being applied to the person of Jesus as he comes in the manger as we celebrate this morning. He's also Christ, or that word could be translated Messiah or anointed one. Uh, The term captures the hopes of the people of Israel uh, in the sense of expectation that they had for one who would come and liberate them from the oppression that they were under, uh, under the uh, rule of the Romans who had taken over their land and were oppressing them in all manner of ways. And so uh, part of their longing and their hope for a Messiah, Messiah was wrapped up, the anointed one was wrapped up in the, the kingship of Israel. And the, the idea, the hope was that this king would come and break them free. That would be one of the things that the king would do. Um, a king is a, is a strong leader and they wanted a king to come Um and in Isaiah 61, verse 1, we see an example of this. The Spirit of the Lord, Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. This is, this is the, the Messiah speaking in first person. Uh, to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And Jesus will come, and he'll apply this language to himself. He will say that this is me. I am the Messiah. I am the king that you've been longing for and waiting for. And then lastly, he's referred to as the Lord. And yes, the term Lord can be used just like in English. It's kind of a polite term. It can be a polite term for somebody who's in higher authority than you. Uh, But most of all, in the Old Testament, it's used to refer to to God, Yahweh, Yahweh. And so, uh, when you go into the the period of time between the Old and New Testament, they translated the Old Testament Hebrew into Greek, and this was the term that was used for Yahweh. And here, Luke, in Greek, is using this term to uh, apply to Jesus. And as Luke continues, he's almost like showing you a little bit of where he's headed in the Gospel of Luke and then in the book of Acts, He's showing us um, that he's going he's to fill out this idea more and more that Jesus is, in fact, Lord. He is God. He's, he's Yahweh. So, um, he's beginning to tip his hand right here in the beginning. And when we get into the book of Acts, you'll see one of the key passages that he uses to underscore the lordship of Jesus um, Acts 2.34, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, this is a quote from a psalm, the Lord said to my Lord. So the idea here is that King David, the greatest king of all, uh, earthly king of all, realized that he had a Lord and that the Lord was speaking to his Lord. And so what Luke is saying, he's saying that Lord that King David uh, refers to is Jesus, Himself, And so Jesus was already existing uh, out of time and was, um, was recognized by the great king David back in the Psalms. He says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And if those statements weren't enough for us to get to the point where we understand that Jesus is God, we have these very clear statements in other parts of the New Testament, like Hebrews 1, verse 3, speaking of Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And Colossians 2, 9, for in him... Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And all of this explains this amazing, this sudden appearance of the angels uh, in the sky to sing their praises, to this chorus of angels belling out the praise of Jesus because of who he is. No other Biblical character received that kind of welcome when they came on the scene because uh, Jesus is that special. He's that unique. And all of this greatness, which what's striking to us, especially as we think about this uh, on Christmas, what's striking about this is the juxtaposition of all of that grandeur, all those lofty titles, the, welcome, the, the, the celestial welcoming committee, you know, popping out into the sky. All of that grandeur and glory and majesty juxtaposed with the very simple scene and the very simple language of Luke as he tells the story of Jesus' birth. And there's Jesus in the manger, just so simple and so humble. Um, he's not in the highest hotel. You have a, a regular couple, Joseph and Mary, Uh, and and they're in this insignificant, seemingly little town of Bethlehem, and they're in an animal cave, a a shelter, and a manger, and they're shepherds. Shepherds were the lowly ones, and they're the welcoming committee, the ones that God sends to herald the arrival of this incredible king. And so it's that remarkable juxtaposition that we key into uh, on Christmas morning. Why all this glory, you could say, in a cardboard box? It's as if you were to buy, you know, a really precious, precious gift, and then you were going to wrap it in an old, tattered piece of newspaper and give it to somebody on a Sunday, on a Christmas morning. And the answer to the question is that God desires to relate to us just as we've been talking about, and this is what really ministers to me this morning and what I hope will minister to you, that the reason God goes to these lengths, the reason that he takes on flesh, is simply because he desperately, desperately wants to relate to us. He wants to have us in his presence. He wants for us to be able to relate to him. And it's a remarkable thing to consider. One of my favorite stories about this comes from a book by Becky Pippert. She wrote a book called Out of the Salt Shaker. And she explains how it was that she came to an understanding of the deity of Christ. And it was one of those unique moments that you know we sometimes experience that um, just are, are powerful. She, she describes it like this. One sunny day, I was stretched out on the lawn when I noticed that some ants... We're busy building a mound. I began to redirect their steps with twigs and leaves. But they simply bounced off and started a new ant mound. I thought, this is like being God. I'm redirecting their steps and they don't even realize it. At one point, two ants crawled onto my hands and I thought, wouldn't it be funny if one ant turned to the other and said, do you believe in Becky? Do you believe in Do you believe Becky Becky really exists? I imagine the other ant answering, "Don't be ridiculous. Becky's a myth." This is as the ants are climbing on her hands, uh, a fairy tale. How comical! I thought the the hubris that an ant declaring that I don't exist when I could easily blow it off my hand. But what if the other ant said, "Oh, I believe that Becky exists." How would they resolve it? How could they know that I am real? I thought. What would I have to do to reveal to them who I am? Suddenly I realized the only way to reveal who I am in a way that they could understand would be to become an ant myself. I would have to identify totally with their sphere of reality. I sat upright and I remember thinking, what an amazing thought. The scaling down of the size of me to perfectly represent who I am in the form of an ant. I know I would have to do tricks, things that no other ant could do. Then it hit me. I had just solved my problem of how finite creatures could ever discover God. God would have to come from the outside and reveal who he is. And in fact, that's what he's done in Christ. And that's what we celebrate On this morning, he chose not just the the easy parts either, He, he chose the whole thing. He chose to come into all of the messiness of being a human, being an ant, being a human. He chose to enter into the full orbed experience. He wasn't protected by bulletproof glass, he didn't ride around in a special car that privileged him from those who might harm him. He was right out there in the open, which boggles the mind. And it did cost him. It cost him to be so vulnerable, to be so accessible, to be so present with us. But he gladly paid the cost so that he could be nearest. In Christ, God comes all the way to us. Which leads to the second question. Uh, Given the reality of what God has done in Christ and just how remarkable it is, how should we respond? How should we respond? And there are a few examples for us in in the text that I just want to sit with briefly here this morning, and then we'll take communion and and sing a last song and and be on our way. And my prayer is that you will treasure up um, some of what we have read this morning as you go through this day and this week and even into the coming year. There's three words that convey the kind of response that we might have Uh, to the coming of Christ, to the advent of Christ. Hurry, wonder, and treasure. Hurry, wonder, and treasure. The shepherds see the angels and they respond with active belief. They hurry to the spot where Jesus is so that they can worship him. They don't stand around uh, waiting for a lull uh, in the shepherding work, right? They just get up and go. They are proactive. They go immediately, it says. And you wonder, what did they do with the sheep? Were the sheep all crowded in there to the cave? Did they leave them on the hillside? Did they take turns taking care of? They figured it out. They figured out what they needed to do to get near Jesus. You know, weren't they afraid that maybe this was a hoax? Or didn't they feel like this whole thing was a bit strange? I mean, there's a million potentially immobilizing questions that they could have asked themselves. But they chose to cast all those aside and to go. And one of the messages for us this morning as we face all the immobilizing questions that come into our minds is to cast all those aside and to just go, to experience, to know the immediacy of the shepherds. Some of us just need to go this morning. We need to act on our beliefs we need to initiate a relationship with God through Jesus Christ if, if that's something we haven't done yet. And the Bible is very clear on how that happens. It's simply when we place our faith in Jesus as what the scripture says, Lord and Savior. He is Savior and Lord. We come to recognize him as the one who atones for our sin and opens up a pathway for us to reconnect with God He's our Savior. I believe that he's my Savior. And he is also recognized in that moment as our Lord. We put our faith in Jesus as our Lord. He's the one after whom I want to pattern my entire entire life. I may be at the center of my life right now, uh, essentially serving as my own Lord, and I want to get myself out of that and put Jesus on the throne of my life and live such that he is Lord. Uh, that might be the question that we need to, the, the possibility we need to act on with immediacy this morning to come to Jesus as Lord and Savior. But after that moment, there are many other kinds of moments where we have the potential to follow through. And it's so easy in following after Jesus to say later. I'll just do it later. I'll go later. I'll do the thing the Holy Spirit is prompting me to do later. And the more we delay, though, the easier it becomes to delay. And the more we miss what God is doing in the world. And so maybe the Holy Spirit's message for you today is this message of hurry, the immediacy of responding to the person of Jesus Christ. I have this picture of one of my daughters standing atop a cliff in Hawaii and trying to jump off and and knowing she was going to jump off, she was committed to jumping off this cliff. But waiting and waiting, and the more she waits, the more frustrated she would get. Uh, and so she finally convinced herself, I'm just going to go, because I know eventually I'm going to go. And the more I wait, the more angsty I get. And, 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 and this is how it is with God. We just, sometimes we just need to go. We need to step out in faith to follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and what is the prompting of the Holy Spirit for you this morning? The invitation is for you to respond with hurry, with immediacy. The second response is wonder, Luke 2.18. All who heard what had happened wondered at what the shepherds told them. All who heard what had happened wondered at what the shepherds uh, told them. They marveled. The word could be translated marveling or amazed. Uh, they admired what was taking place. And it was an appropriate response because there were, there were amazing things happening. There, there was a humble side. It was just Jesus in the manger and this seemingly normal couple. Um, But then also you had these, these, these magnificent, glorious, you know, expressions of praise coming from the celestial beings who appeared and you had the potential of the answer to a great prophecy. All of that was coming into focus for them and they were amazed. They wondered at it. But if we read uh, through Luke, all the way through, we're going to see there's a theme around amazement. There are different kinds of responses to amazement. And it's not always uh, put in a positive light when people wonder like this, when they're amazed. Uh, Because amazement in itself is not enough. Luke makes this point throughout the gospel. Amazement is a good starting point, but a bad ending point. Amazement is a good starting point, but a bad ending point. Amazement is not the same as a a response of faith. And Luke seems to be suggesting that some of these people saw and were amazed, but they didn't go to the next level. Um, If the journey ends with amazement, then there's no journey really at all. Uh, What's required in addition to that is an actual response to faith. You know, we've been over the fall looking at spiritual disciplines, and the spiritual discipline that I chose to embrace was... Uh, uh, gratitude to be uh, somebody who is more consistently thankful. And I noticed this dynamic in myself that I can even recognize an answer to prayer, something I've been praying for, and I see that God has done it, and I'll recognize that God has answered it, and I'll kind of have an amazed response, and then that's it. I'll just leave it like that. And as I was thinking about this passage, uh, I, I, I had that pointed out, how over this last fall, the discipline of taking that wonder and that amazement to the next step has been so healthy for my soul. To then be able to say, okay, now in faith, I am going to recognize what God has done and I am going to give God praise for what he has done. I'm going to take it to that next step. I'm not just going to go, oh, isn't that amazing? I'm going to say, thank you, Lord, for what you've done. To give honor and praise and gratitude where it's due. The discipline of gratitude encourages me to take the moment of observation and transform it into an act of praise. And that's how it is with all of our responses to God. All the wonderful works of God are rightly followed through with some kind of response Praise or, or faith or action, right? The appropriate response to God is, is one of those. Without that, then it's kind of like a, a one-sided relationship. Maybe you've been in, in a relationship situation where you're talking and the other person is ignoring what you're saying, right? Uh, maybe you're texting and there's no text coming back. And we can do that with God. You know, he's answering prayer, he's moving in our lives, and we see it, we look at it, but we don't respond. And God's calling us this morning to, in 2023 and beyond, to not be that kind of person, but to be somebody who is in constant active dialogue with the Lord, responding to his movements in our life, the way that he answers prayer, the way that he speaks to us through his word with, with faith and action. And praise. And then the third response that we have in front of us is this beautiful response of Mary, and that is to treasure. And in some respects, this is the deepest and the most admirable response in this text that not only does Mary have active faith, we've already seen that over the last weeks as so we've been looking at Mary's response and looking at the Magnificat, which is her, the song of praise she sings when she realizes she's going to become the mother of our Lord. Um, but she, she, So she has that faith, um, but she, she not only has the faith in an initial, initial sense, she continues in an ongoing way to treasure up what has happened. And I like to think uh, it's very possible that, you know, when Luke was writing the gospel, he might have had opportunity. I don't know, this is just me speculating and other people speculated this way. Because of the level of detail, though, that's here, and because we know Luke was, was really one of the first historians, it's very possible that he actually had a conversation with Mary about how all this went down. Or maybe it was somebody who knew Mary, who was close to Mary. So it's very possible that we're reading here a sort of firsthand account of, all, uh, of how all of this went down. And Mary, over that time, had been able to treasure it up over years. She treasured up what had happened and processed it in that way. And she's inviting us to be the kind of people who treasure up the glorious truths of God over a period of time that that that, that we dig deeper into, we sit with, we understand. You know, some of us have seen a lot of Christmases, right? Some of us have seen a lot of Christmases. I mean, I've seen a lot of Christmases. I'm, I'm above 50 Christmases that I have seen in my life so far. Uh, and, and, and not one of them is the same. Not one of them is the same. And every time I come back to the same story and I get to see it afresh because I've changed over the last year. And because the world around me has changed over the last year. And my depth of understanding of who God is and what this world is about has changed over the last year. And that's the process. That's like the process of treasuring the glorious scriptures and the truths of God over time. We sit with them and we meditate with them. How sweet it is to be a, to be a child, to be coming to these truths for the first times, and and your mind is straining to make sense of it all, and then to think of yourself as an elderly person who has sat with these truths year after year, and they settle in in a different kind of way. That process in between the one and the other is the process of treasuring up, and Mary calls us not merely to have faith, but to continue to treasure the repetition, plus the change of who we are, the change of our understanding. That's what it means to treasure up. God calls us to be a people who treasure up his thoughts and ways. And he's given us a means for doing that. He's he's given us the church and the the means of the church. Luke will talk about this later in the book of Acts. He'll talk about fellowship. Fellowship is a key way that we, we treasure up the truths of God when we're together with other people talking about the truths of God, talking about the scriptures We can treasure them up. How many times have you been sitting in a small group and you're talking about a particular verse and you may have seen that verse many times in your life and something in that verse just now suddenly comes alive as you treasure up that scripture in the presence of your brothers and sisters. And we have prayer to meditate on prayer. We have scriptures to meditate on, to read, and we have worship. When we come together on a Sunday morning and we worship, one of the things that we're doing is like Mary, we're treasuring up God's word. We're, we're hiding in our hearts. We're holding on to it. We're, we're letting it sit and, and we're marinating in the beautiful truths that God has given to us. And so in 2023, we have a chance to be the kind of people who treasure up. If you want to become someone who treasures, this is how you do it. You get into fellowship. You pray. You read the scriptures. And you worship God in the corporate body. There's one last response. And that is the shepherds uh, went home glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. And you might say to yourself, yeah, well, if I would have been one of those shepherds, you know, I would, I would have walked away praising God as well. Um, but guess what? Um, the same story of the shepherds is a story that you're living. Now, there's been a 2,000-year gap, but that's nothing in the framework of God. In the eternal mindset frame uh, of God, that is nothing. Jesus is still entering in like he did then, as Savior, Christ, and Lord. So I want to invite us, as we finish up our worship time, we're going to share communion and sing. We leave this place, just like those shepherds, praising God, that he'd be willing to take on flesh, to be near to us, and to go to the cross to be our Savior, and to be our Lord of all eternity. This is the gift that we celebrate on Christmas morning. Amen. Lord, would you meet us uh, in our praises today? Remind us of what, in fact, you have done. And help us to treasure up your goodness and your glory in every way. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.